Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. All right, let's dive into the word. So we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus teaches us how to pray. Uh, And we've been looking at this for the last few weeks. And just as a reminder, kind of the context here, Jesus is gathering his disciples, his new followers around and some other people who are interested in who he is and what he's doing. And he's up on the the mountain. They they call this the Sermon on the Mount. And he's introducing what life is going to look like in the kingdom that he is bringing. So imagine for a second that this is like Jesus is the new Moses and he's giving a new law for a people who are going to live in a new way. That's essentially what Jesus is doing. So he's bringing something fresh and new, a fresh perspective on what life looks like to live in his kingdom. And in doing so, he tells his disciples, this is how you should pray. And so we should pay attention when Jesus says, this is how you do something. We should pay attention. That's important for us to do it. Uh, And so he tells a couple things. He says, look, don't pray like the hypocrites. Um, They like they're out there for everybody to see Their, their reward is actually what they get, that God's not actually listening to those prayers because they're just praying for show. Don't be like them. And he tells them also, uh, don't, don't be like the pagans who just use a bunch of words in Babylon. Don't do that because your father knows what you need before you even say it. You can't manipulate him through your words to say something. Instead, here's how you pray. And so in verse nine, he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And today we're going to attack on verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So here's Jesus. He's teaching his disciples how to pray in this new kingdom community. And we've looked at the Father's character in the beginning part of the prayer, that we're praying to the Father. We talked about how it's important that we know who it is that we're talking to. The Father, He's our Father in heaven. He's generous. He's kind. He's good. Uh, but he's also holy. And so we're supposed to pray to our Holy Father. And that should affect how we pray. And then we talked about the Father's kingdom. Mark did a great job unpacking about why it's important that we would pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So God, do in me, make it in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, just like it is in heaven. Would you do, would you do that? I'll say that that prayer right there has marked my life. When I walk into a situation uh, that seems dark, that seems like it's, uh, it's far from God, I immediately find myself just saying, God, let your kingdom come here. And I let my brain imagine what would it look like for Jesus to show up in the middle of this situation. And immediately, oftentimes, I'm filled with hope. So, so let your kingdom come, the Father's kingdom. The last one that we learned from Katie was about our Father's provision and how we should pray that God would take care of the needs that we have. He already knows what we need, but he wants us to ask him for that. And so she did a great job unpacking, give us our daily bread. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness, the next part of the prayer. Jesus says this, he said, we should pray, forgive us our debts 
as we have also forgiven our debtors. Uh, many scholars and uh, people throughout history have argued that this is actually the main point of Jesus' prayer, this idea of forgiveness. That, um, the, and the reason why they would say that is because it's the only part of the prayer that receives any commentary. So Jesus says, this is how I should pray, and then just lists off these things. But then in verse 14, he tacks on this little line about, okay, uh, and the, why is it significant that we pray? It's the only part that he elaborates on, where he he goes into this idea that if we forgive others, our Father will forgive us. But if we don't forgive others, our Father won't forgive us. So we're going to dive in to that piece of it, verse 14, probably next week. Uh, but suffice to say that whatever it is that we're talking about, forgiveness is critically important and it's critically important to prayer. So we know that for sure because it's something that Jesus highlights. So what's going on? Why is forgiveness so important and what is Jesus actually talking about? So uh, in this prayer, Jesus actually uses the language of debts rather than sins. We oftentimes hear, forgive us our sins if we've sinned against others. But Jesus, in the Greek, in the original language, actually uses the language of debt. However, it's really clear that he's talking about sins. So, for example, we don't have a financial debt to God that needs to be forgiven. We have a sinful debt to with God that needs to be forgiven. More on that in a minute. But Jesus is using this idea of debts to, as a metaphor that would be really, really powerful for his listeners. So many of the people who are sitting around listening to Jesus talk uh, and, and share the Sermon on the Mount, they would have been poor, and most of them would have been in some kind of debt. So when they hear the word debt, it would immediately prick something in their heart. It would immediately go, ah, he's talking about something I can relate to. And most of the people around Jesus were indebted because the Roman Empire had come into the land and conquered the nation of Israel, conquered the people that were there. And when that happened, they, they took people who were already strapped thin already living a subsistence level life. It's kind of hand to mouth. Whatever's in my field, that's what I get to eat. Whatever fish I catch, that's what I get to eat. And the Roman Empire started to impose heavy, heavy tax burdens on the people. And so people would become indebted to the Roman Empire, but that is a bad idea because the Romans do not tolerate debt. If you owe money to the Romans, they just take all your stuff that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, they imprison you or they kill you. And so the country people, the people of Jesus' day, uh, those who were uh, not of Roman descent, they would actually take out loans uh, when, wherever they could so that they could pay that Roman tax debt. And so they were indebted to their countrymen. And that was a bad deal too, because now they not only owed the, the Roman Empire money, now they, owned, they owed money to people who are, were around them. And so remember, there's no social safety net here. There's no possibility for like a government stimulus or a bailout. There's no grace period. I owe this person money. And so it was a heavy, heavy thing for people. It was actually seen to be really shameful to be in debt. As a matter of fact, there, were, there was a common view that debt was actually the same as being enslaved by someone. So, so when I'm, if I'm indebted to someone, I'm actually enslaved to them. And that's super, super challenging because sometimes that would actually equate to actual slavery. So I owe this person money. 
And so what, what people would do is they would actually send their children or themselves into slavery until that debt was paid off. And this actually still happens all around the world today, believe it or not. I know it's hard for us to imagine that, but that's still true. In the early 2000s, when I went to India, I met a young girl who was sold into slavery to pay off her father's debt. Uh, her father had a gambling or a drug debt. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. He couldn't pay it. And so the person that he owed the money to took the daughter as payment to work for him until that, until that debt was paid. That is still going on. So here's, here's the key thing. I know that's a lot of information, a lot of background culture stuff. Here's why this matters. When you were forgiven of a debt, it was more than simply alleviating financial pressure. Like we think of debt as I'm out of debt. I don't have to pay that bill anymore. It was more than that. It was more than improving your credit rating because you have too much debt. When you were forgiven of a debt, it was literally about making someone free. It was literally about restoring someone to wholeness. Here's the way I think about it. Forgiveness of debt is more relational than it is transactional. Forgiveness of debt is more relational than it is transactional. Let me unpack that. We tend to think of debt as more transactional than relational. It's numbers on a page. So for example, I owe money to a business and I either pay it uh, or I don't pay it. If I don't pay it, I have a debt. And so the problem is there needs to be a balancing of the ledger. It's a transaction that needs to happen. So uh, let's say maybe even that you owe money to a credit card company and you can't pay that anymore. Uh, it's possible to appeal to that credit card company and say, hey, I can't pay this bill anymore. And if you let that extend long enough, they might even forgive the debt. They might even say, okay, you don't have to pay us that money. But it's primarily, debt in that way is primarily transactional, not relational. That's the world that we tend to live in. But the truth is that being in debt to a person, which is what Jesus is talking about here, is more relational than it is transactional. Let me explain. So as a window washer, back in my seminary days, I used to go around and wash windows. There were often times where someone would ask me to wash their windows a business. And so I would go and I would wash their windows and they'll say, oh, I'll catch you next month for payment. I'd say, okay, no big deal. And so I come next month, I'd wash their windows and I'd be like write them the receipt. I'd be asking for payment and they'd be like, oh yeah, sorry, I got to pay you next month. And that might go on for another month or two. I'm a pretty gracious person, so it's no big deal, you know, to me. But if that went on for a little, a little while, I actually, they accumulated actually quite a debt. But the interesting thing for me is I didn't care so much about the money that I was owed so much as I felt like they were dishonoring me. I did something for them and they said they were going to do it. It actually was a taking advantage of me as a person. They took advantage of my the work that I did. Even that, though, is still a little bit transactional because the debt was about a service that I provided. But it's, you can see how that debt is more relational than transactional. So uh, another example of something that's a little bit more relational is another time when I was in college, 
I was a dumb college kid with a credit card that didn't really know exactly how what I was doing and uh, didn't always use it wisely. When I was in a band, and when you're in a band, you always need musical equipment or your buddy always needs musical equipment. So one of my close friends needed to buy something for a piece of musical equipment. I don't even remember what it was now. And so I had a new credit card and very foolishly, I said, yeah, okay, well, I'll cover you now until your next paycheck. I'll put it, I'll put it on my credit card. So I bought the thing. It was, it's quite expensive. Uh, and then, uh, his next paycheck, I, I knew when that next paycheck was going to come. And so it's like, okay, man, I got to pay off this card. And he didn't have any money to give me. And I was a little frustrated, but he was a really close friend. So I was like, okay, no big deal. Catch me next time. So, uh, so a couple weeks goes on. I go back. Hey, man, I really need to pay off this credit card now. It's accruing more interest. Like, and so I go to my friend and say, hey, would you? Would, I need that money back so I can pay this thing off. He's like, oh no, I don't. I don't have it. And this actually went on for a while. And and I honestly, like, it was creating major financial problems for me because I'm a dumb college kid. And I couldn't really afford the bill, but also my friend, for whatever reason, didn't have the money to do it. And it's interesting, I eventually came across enough money so that I could pay down that debt on my own. I actually didn't need the money from him to do it. So I paid the debt. It was done. However, the thing that was still hanging out there is that my friend never came back, never apologized. Hey, I'm sorry, I don't have it. You know, never, never tried to make amends for it, never came back and offered me the money. It was actually so offensive to me. Not that he would take advantage of money. I would have given him the money freely, but that he, there was no remorse. There was no contrition. There was no sorrow on his part for how he devalued our friendship. It was, a, it was an affront to our friendship. And actually, our friendship from that moment forward, not really about the money, but because of the way that he acted in the wake of that, never was quite the same. I actually never, I said, fine, you don't owe me the money anymore. But there was never any ownership of what he had done wrong to me. He devalued and dishonored me as a person when he didn't pay the money back or didn't even acknowledge. And so debt in the way that Jesus is talking about is like that. It's, break, it's a breakdown in relationship, not a breakdown in financial transactions. Here's what he's talking about. When Jesus says, and we should pray that God would forgive us of our sins, he's tapping into the universal, the universal biblical worldview that humans are sinful and are in need of forgiveness from God. That God entrusted us with freedom, entrusted us with life. He entrusted us with his dreams of making a beautiful creation. And that despite all of our best efforts, we have turned our backs on God. We have sinned against him. We did that by ignoring what he wanted for us and going our own way. We do that by sinning against one another and by doing harm to one another. That the universal biblical worldview is that we squandered the goodness that God has given us and that we stand in need of forgiveness. God entrusted us, and then we violated that relationship with God through the sins, through our sins, and we stand in need of forgiveness. 
And we don't just need a transactional forgiveness. We don't just need kind of the ledger to be made clean. We actually need to be restored to relationship with God. And not because God doesn't want to have a relationship with us because he's so angry and mad at us, but because we continue to push him away. We are dead in our trespasses and in our sin, not God. And so so the issue is on our end of the equation. But the good news that we learn uh, through the Gospels is that, that even though we were so lost, it's as if we became bankrupt, to use that financial metaphor. We were completely unable to restore the relationship. What God does is step into humanity and says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make sure that every debt and every offense has been fully and completely paid for by my son. And so Jesus comes and fully God, fully man, and lives a fully and completely righteous life. He's the only one to ever walk on the earth and never sin. He's the only one to walk uprightly and never be in God's debt. And instead, the Bible uses this rich metaphor that he takes on our debt on himself. He takes on that shame of debt, like I was talking about earlier. He takes on the enslavement to that sin. He takes it on himself on the cross and kills it and says, now they are forgiven. So he took our place because of our sin. So if you've never heard that before, and maybe even right now, like you're listening to this, and you're like, wow, I never heard it explained that way. I want you to know that you have freedom and forgiveness of sins available to you through what Jesus has done. That you don't have to feel the weight of your guilt and shame anymore. That Jesus has taken upon himself your imperfectness and my imperfectness. And so that we don't have to carry that weight around with us anymore. He's done that once and for all. He stepped into our mess and restored the relational debt that was there. So he gives us this opportunity to have a relationship with God that we were not able to have on our own. So all of that is true. All that's true, guys. I want you to know that's 100% true. However, there's still a responsibility on our part to walk in relationship with God and to keep that, keep that relational wholeness Keep our end of the bargain with the freedom that we have been given. That we are not just this transactional release of debt. Then that now go on your merry way. In fact, actually, we've been given even more responsibility to live out this freedom that we've been given. So let me unpack a little bit of some of the challenges with this. So we've got some challenges here, and I'm going to come back to why this matters to prayer in a minute. So just put, just hold on for a second. I'm going to come back to prayer. So one of the challenges about this whole forgiveness, one challenge is, is that the reality is many, many people throughout the world don't see their need for forgiveness. They just don't see it. Either they've never heard this message or Maybe they're mired down in their own brokenness and they've, they know there's something going on inside that's not quite right and they're trying to fix that brokenness through all other kinds of means, but they, at the core, they don't know, oh man, I'm actually a broken person. I don't just do bad things. I'm actually, there's something inside of me that God has to restore and redeem. They just don't, they don't know it. There are other people, and I think this is even more common today, who refuse to acknowledge that they actually have any sin in their lives. 
They actually, every desire and every whim that I have, it must be good because it came from me. That's actually becoming even more popular that whatever I do, there's nothing actually wrong with that. And so there's actually a lack of acknowledgement that I actually need to be forgiven in the first place. There's lots more justifications of anything that I want to do. And so that's one of the challenges here is that so many people don't recognize their need for forgiveness. And as a side, let me just say this. It's not our job to convince people of their sinfulness. It's not our job. That's 100% not your job. Uh, you can preach the good news of the gospel and share how good God is, and you can share how, how the way that we live life is incongruent with the goodness of God, but we don't need to shame people into a relationship with God. God is perfectly good at convicting people of sin. So our job is to be there to point people to the good news of the gospel when that conviction of sin comes. Where our, our job is to live such incredible, crazy lives as followers of Jesus says that people would say, I want to live the way that you want. And we can say, okay, here's a deal. I can live this way because I acknowledge that I needed Jesus in my life. So it's not our job to point all, all people wrongdoing. Now hear me clearly. I'm not saying that we can't have hard conversations with people, but I'm saying that Jesus most often directed his conversations about the need for forgiveness to religious people rather than the sinners. He spends most of his time actually pointing out the hypocrisy of people who knew better but chose to live lives that were an affront to God. So if anything, if you're going to have those conversations, we should be talking with people who know better, not with the world who doesn't know any better. So let me just put that aside, but, but it's a challenge, this idea of forgiveness. But I think there's a greater challenge for us who are followers of Jesus. And I think it's that we're stuck in that transactional kind of mentality. We're stuck in that transactional kind of mentality. We maybe at one point in time recognized that we were sinful people and that we were in need of the loving forgiveness of our Father. We might have recognized that. And we might have recognized that Jesus paid that price for our sins to be forgiven. And, and so, and maybe even we prayed a prayer at one point in time, said, God, I've, I need you to forgive me of my sins. Where was, was, was repentance? We said, I need to be forgiven of those things. So maybe, maybe that's happened. But what you have forgotten along the way is that wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just a transaction that occurred kind of to get you into the gates of heaven. It actually was an invitation to relationship that, um, that we ongoingly need to be aware of how we do injustice to this relationship that we've been given with our father. Let me use something to maybe help us understand this. So when I got married, during our wedding ceremony, when we said I, our I do is when we made our vows to one another, a transaction happened there. On that day, our pastor signed our marriage certificate and we were officially married. We were officially brought into covenant together. However, it's not like marriage stopped that day. It was the beginning of a relationship, not the end of a relationship. As a matter of fact, what I have discovered is that the longer we walk out what happened on that transaction, the more relational I realized marriage is. It wasn't just about what I said on that day. It's actually more about what do I do every day to value and honor and live out this relationship. 
And actually, I've discovered that the longer we're together, the more I want to value that relationship, the more I find myself saying, I'm sorry. (laughs) The more I find myself like caring for what is on my wife's heart, for understanding her dreams, her hopes and passions. And then I find myself going, gosh, man, my actions don't line up with supporting that right now. And so I have to ask for forgiveness and say that I'm sorry. Actually, the closer that we get together, the more I realize the need for her forgiveness in my life for things that I do wrong. And here's the reality, that every mature believer that I've ever known that I respect and look up to, I have discovered that they become more aware of the need for God's grace and, more, and love in their life. The closer they get to God, rather than the other way around. <laughs> like they, they have left behind this transactional mentality that, oh, it's, it's done, and, and now I just get to do what I want. And instead, as they get closer to the heart of God, they realize that they need to understand what's on the heart of God. And that's why we were invited into a relationship with him. And while it's true that a transaction did occur, Jesus did something truly and completely on the cross. It's not the end of the story for us because we're meant to walk out this relationship. So our relationship with God as followers of Jesus should include more confession, more repentance, not less. More saying, God, I'm sorry. I, I, I know I've grieved your heart with my actions. I know I've grieved your heart with the way I've treated my brothers and sisters. I know, I know that I've done wrong to you, God. So I, I, just, I know that you've forgiven me, God, but I come to you and I ask for your forgiveness. That should happen more in our lives, not less. The closer we get to the heart of God, the more we recognize, oh man, I wish I could say this. I wish you were in the room right now so you could hear this. The closer you get to the heart of God, the more you know how you can break the heart of God. You understand his tender love and mercy for you and how our actions and the things that we do and the things that we think can be an affront and an offense to him. And what he's asking for his people to really walk in relationship with him is to actually be aware of that and come, like Jesus says, and ask for forgiveness. Father, forgive me for what I've done. Another way that we can step into this extreme transactional kind of mentality is that we can feel stuck constantly and forgetting that Jesus has paid the price and like I have to constantly make up for my wrongdoings. And, and we, when we get stuck in that mentality, we think there has to be this transaction that occurs for every single sin. That everything that I've ever done, I have to go back to the God and I have to say, I have to be aware of every little minutia of everything that I ever did wrong. And we get stuck in this cycle and we get stuck in that cycle produces shame and condemnation in our lives. And that is not God's heart for us. That's not the way he meant to live, meant for us to live. When we have that mentality, it reveals we still have that transactional mentality, not that relational mentality. Uh, imagine for a second, if I lived in a world where I thought every little mistake that I made in my marriage that Jen was going to leave me. That's a transactional kind of mentality. Imagine for a second, every time I forgot to wash the dishes or I left my clothes by the side, because these things happen all the time. Uh, Imagine if every time that happened, every time I was grumpy with her in the morning or in the evening, whatever time that she was going to leave me, that's not any kind of relationship. And that's not the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. He covered it all, but he wants all of you. What we need is a relational approach to forgiveness. He wants us to know the Holy One who we are in relationship with, to know who he really is 
and and to know what he's all about. And the more we grow in our knowledge of who he is, the more we we grow in the knowledge of who we are. And hopefully we're becoming more like one another. We're actually becoming more like God. That's the goal here. His relational approach opens that up. So why does this matter to prayer? I'm going to wrap it up here in just a minute. But why does this matter to prayer? First of all, because we need forgiveness, period. Because we just need to be reminded that we need forgiveness. I want to be really, really brutally honest, church. We need a wake-up call and our need to be forgiven. We need a wake-up call in the church. It used to be. I remember days as a kid of entire churches on their face, weeping before God, recognizing their brokenness and their need for a desperate need for him. And we're in desperate days where I think that, that that cry, not because we're begging God to forgiveness, but because we're so close to the heart of God that we know we need his forgiveness. I believe that that's got to return to us. That repentance is going to set the atmosphere for revival. If we want to see God do the incredible things that we believe that he can do, then the posture of our hearts has to be, God, we just don't want anything in us that's not from you. We want everything from you to be in us. We have to actually die to ourselves the way that Jesus says that we should die to ourselves so that we can freely live. But we're too busy protecting our lives, protecting what we have, justifying what we do, rather than saying, Jesus, I'm hopelessly and completely and utterly lost without you. So please rescue me. Please redeem me. Please show me, God, how I can walk in your ways. We need a return to godliness, a return to that. So we need forgiveness, period. And so we should pray, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the things I've done. Forgive me what's on your heart because that is just the posture of a believer. Repentance is the posture of a believer. Seeking forgiveness is the posture of a disciple. And secondly, we need to approach God relationally in prayer. We need to approach God relationally in prayer. He's not a cosmic vending machine, ready just to do what we want whenever we punch in the button and say, God, I need this. Thank you very much. I I want this. That has a very transactional kind of mentality. I put the money in. I put the prayer in. I put the time in. Now give me what I want. Instead, we have to approach God relationally, recognizing, is there any offense, God, between you and I? Is there anything that I've done, God? Like the psalmist says, search my heart, God. God, find out in me, is there any wickedness in me whatsoever? Is there anything that's an affront or an offense to your heart? Because when we do that, we honor the relationship. We've got to approach God relation, relationally. We approach him with intimacy. We, we approach him for friendship, deep friendship, but we also approach him with reverence. We recognize his holiness but we also recognize his desire to have a relationship with us. And those things are so compatible. This is the mystery of God and a relationship with us as his people. That the God who is so holy, so incredible, so awesome, so perfect in every way would stoop down low to know us and to walk in relationship with us. Worship guys, you can come back up. Here's what I love. Uh, there's a scripture that has just really been a refrain for me. It's Isaiah 57 and uh, verse 15, I believe it is. Here's what it says. For this is what the high and exalted one says. 
he who lives forever, he whose name is holy. He says this, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That word contrite, there's some debate over exactly what it means, but it's simply, uh, at, at its most basic, it means somebody who comes with humble need before God. So do you realize what that scripture is saying? It's saying that God who is holy, who lives high and lifted up, the one who is worshiped and adored by all of creation, the one who is surrounded by angels in heaven, singing and adoring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That one is the one who desires to stoop down low, to know me, to know you. And that he's there to know those of us who are humble in heart, those who are humble enough to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need your forgiveness in my life. I need your grace in my life. You know, we don't have to convince God to be gracious with us. We don't have to convince God to forgive us. He has already settled the issue. He loves the world in such a way that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The issue is settled about how God feels about you. His love for you knows no bounds. His desire for a relationship with you knows no bounds. And there's no limit to it. And there's no limit to the depth of relationship that you can have with your heavenly father. The only thing that's stopping is, do you have the humility to come before God and say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to set aside my preferences. I want to set aside these things so that I can really know you and walk with you. I believe that the idea of forgiveness is so critical to prayer that it's very possible that if we would adopt this posture of humility of coming before God and asking for forgiveness in this relational way rather than transactional way, we would actually see more prayers answered in our lives. Actually, in the coming weeks, I'm going to talk about how forgiveness or the lack of forgiveness between two people actually creates this, this block in our lives from being able, for, uh, for be able to appeal to God because an injustice against or between my brothers and sisters is actually an injustice to God. Like brothers and sisters fighting with one another is an offense to their parents. It's an offense to God when we hold unforgiveness between one another. This is a really big deal to the heart of God. And it's a really big deal because he wants you to experience the fullness of his relationship. He wants to set you free from the burden of sin, whether you know you're living in it or not. The way that I want to wrap up today, we didn't take communion earlier. We're going to do that right now. So why don't you go ahead if you don't have it ready already and grab your elements for communion. We're going to take communion right now. And the reason why we're going to do that is because Jesus explicitly says when he's sharing with his disciples at the Last Supper that his blood is shared for the, uh, shed for the forgiveness of sin. So it's a reminder of our need for forgiveness. You know, and we at Fusion use communion in a, in a pretty robust way because we think it's, a, it's such a rich uh, symbol of all the things that God has done for us, the fullness of his covenant with us. 
but at the heart of it is the need for forgiveness. And while maybe you have at one point in your life acknowledged your need for forgiveness and you have been set free from sin, you are saved, you, you can't add anything to that. We are saved by grace through faith alone. So you can't do anything to add to that salvation. It's so, so important to be reminded of our need for forgiveness, to be reminded of the song that we sing sometimes, who God is and who I am. And sometimes we, we focus on that a positive identity. I'm a son or a daughter and 100% true, but let us never forget that we are sons and daughters because we have been adopted into the family of God by his blood, shed and broken for you. That Jesus, our big brother, made a way for us to enter into the holy place without any shame, without any condemnation. So today, as you get ready to take communion together, I want you to just think about how God has saved you from your sin. And I want you to take a minute. You can say it out loud if your family does that kind of thing. Or you can just kind of say it silently if you want to. And I want you to once again just say, God, would you please forgive me for the ways that I've hurt your heart? Would you let this blood cover my sin? Would you let your body that was broken for me restore me in the deepest places? So would you go ahead right now and just pray a prayer of forgiveness as you take communion? These guys are going to play for a minute and just let you give you an opportunity to do that. Holy Spirit, just breathe out your conviction and your freedom in this moment right now. Breathe out your love for us. 
breathe out your peace that's available to us. You made peace where there is enmity. You made peace where there are enemies, Lord. You brought peace, Lord. Make that peace come right now. Let peace flow like a river into the hearts of the people right now, God. Let peace flow, God. Let I, I pray, Lord, that people right now, if they're feeling the weight of conviction, that they would just let that come. If you're if you're shaking right now, if you've got um, maybe some tears coming, don't don't fight that off. That's just the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes when that happens, our body just responds in that way. So right now, if you if you've got something going on like that, you're feeling sorrowful. Maybe even you're you find yourself wanting just to grieve. That's okay. Maybe you got to change your position to get on the floor on your knees. I just encourage you to do that right now. That's that's okay. If not, uh, if you're not feeling that, maybe just continue just to, uh, this is a good time to confess. You know, James tells uh, tells the believers after the cross that they should uh, they should confess their sins to one another, that they might be healed. So, so it's okay just to confess sins out loud right now, to confess those things. God is just doing something in the area of repentance and contrition. So Holy Spirit, we don't want to manufacture this. We don't want to, we don't want to produce this under our own power and strength. We just want you to breathe out the invitation to know you, the invitation to come out from hiding, to live free and not in shame. Jesus, just come and bring your goodness into homes right now. Bring your kindness into homes. Some of you, there's a, 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 an older woman um, who is, is feeling this um, uh, re- real regret over things that she did when she was an early teenager uh, with with boys. And there's just a deep regret over that right now. And you feel like, man, you keep coming back and you keep thinking that that is the thing that's hanging you up in life. It's keeping things from happening in your life. It's just not true. That It's a lie. Uh, you've confessed it. Your sin is covered. You're, you are forgiven and free. Uh, you, it, it's not true. So don't believe the lie of that enemy. God saw that. He was with you uh, in it and he forgives you even now. So don't don't let that stand in a blockade. Someone, uh, they're involved in some business transaction that feels like maybe it's, um, uh, it's unsavory in some kind of way and you know it. Uh, just go ahead and step out of that thing. Don't, don't continue in that because you know it uh, you know that um uh that there there's something maybe illegal that you're you're involved in so just go ahead and and, and stop out of that right now um don't 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 let yourself get mired mired down in that you 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 already feel like your integrity um has been compromised so don't let your integrity be compromised in, in, the, in this moment don't 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 step into that Maybe there's even some of our kids that are watching right now and you're and you're feeling heaviness. You're feeling something you've never felt before. I want to encourage you, mom and dad, just to put your hand on your kid's shoulder and maybe even right now, tell them about Jesus' love. Tell them about Jesus' grace and acceptance and uh, just allow them to receive Jesus as king. Uh, just about a year ago, Chloe confessed Jesus as her Savior and Lord in such an incredible way. And I just, I, I want that for all of you kids that that are there so God just I just pray for you oh, receive the salvation of the Lord receive the salvation of the Lord receive his salvation he loves you 
He loves you. He wants to save you and rescue and redeem you. If you make this commitment now as a young person, you'll walk with him all of your days. Through every situation, high or low, you'll walk with him all of your days. He'll be by you in mountaintops. He'll be by you in valleys. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You will never regret the commitment that you make to follow him, follow his heart today. So follow him. Follow his heart today. Follow him. Follow him. Lord, would you pour out your spirit on your sons and daughters today? Pour out your spirit. Let this, t- this Sunday be the exclamation point on the work that you've been doing over the last months. God, let that be the exclamation point, Lord, that your spirit of forgiveness would be poured out on your sons and daughters, that we would repent and experience the freedom of the Lord today. Freedom of the Lord. Oh, God, you're altogether lovely, altogether beautiful, altogether good. There's no darkness in you. God, I just pray right now for people who are, are feeling a sense of darkness that, that I, I, I don't understand, God. I feel like he's distant and he's far. and I don't understand. I feel like he's not actually good. I pray, Lord, that right now you would answer a prayer in their heart to let them know that you are good and that you have good for them, Lord. Answer that prayer, God. Do it right now. We just pray in your name altogether lovely, altogether good. Oh, peace. I just pray for the refreshing of the Lord to enter into every home that's still watching. I know there's probably some people who be like, this guy's crazy. I've tuned out already. So just, I just pray for the refreshing of the Lord to enter into your homes. Those who are weary, those who are tired, you just feel like you've been grinding. You just feel like you've been going. You're stressed out by the world. The refreshing of the Lord enter into your heart, into your mind right now. Find yourself renewed in your strength, like wings, like you have wings of eagles, like it says in Isaiah, that, that it will, you'll just feel young at heart again. If it, just a a sense of youthfulness will spring up in you, well up in you. Where did this strength come from? It came from the Lord Almighty. I pray that over you right now. Come, come the refreshing of the Lord right now. Hey guys, our God does this stuff. The stuff that I'm praying, the stuff that I'm seeing, like, I don't know what you thought church is supposed to be and what you thought Jesus is supposed to be, but it's this and he is it. He is exactly who he said he was, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the one who knows everything about you and the one who holds the future, your future in his hands. He has written his dreams in your heart. And if you will say yes to him, like I'm asking to say yes today, he will unlock your future in ways that you can't even imagine. So continue to say yes to him. Continue to come to him with a contrite heart because he is so willing to bow low uh, and to come and fill your place. I just pray that the joy of the Lord would go with you this week. I pray that that would spill over into our gathering next week as we're outside. I pray that you would carry the aroma and fragrance of Christ everywhere you go with everyone you meet. Go and be blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you were encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.